The question was, is that how will we know that the picky dot happened? How will we know the picky dot? Is that what she is? Okay. Yes. And then <clears throat> so, you said you tell you were telling us how we'll see um more and more how good is gonna um pre- prevail and, and come like spread out and the evil is gonna lose its power. Yeah, so the formula which I which which I wanna mention is whenever you see evil grow to a tremendous extent, which it's doing now, that means that justice is being applied. Because as I said, evil has a claim against the attribute of justice of God. And the claim is, wait a minute, everybody's sinning. So why don't I have, why can't I have dominion or domination over the world to do what I want to do, which is to increase evil. Because everybody's sinning anyway. Why should I be subdued? And God says, well, that's justice. So therefore, I will give you more power, more opportunity to allow people to influence, you know, each other to do evil. So that's one side of the equation. And the other side is that Jews are then punished in order to, again, satisfy justice, that they deserve punishment for all the sins that they do, you see. So there are really two things going on uh, at the same time. <clears throat> you know, and also what's important. Now, the question is, why does evil want to have dominion? Okay, it's true, people are sinning all over the place, you see, and the world is certainly doing that. So what does evil gain if people, uh, if it has dominion over people, and that it has the opportunity, you know, to allow people to sin. And the answer is because there's only one thing that Satan is interested in. He's not interested really in dominion, in the sense that he wants to dominate. What he wants to do is allow uh, evil to proliferate, so people will be attracted to that. And what that means, of course, is that if they are attracted to evil, because all of a sudden evil is all around, and by that I especially mean permissiveness to do anything you want, which is what we see all over America, therefore people will be attracted and they will sin. And if people sin, especially if choose sin, which is obviously happening to a great extent, then evil, you see, uh, once it dominates, hopefully it will attract people to sin. And because of that, then the Satan, what's called, can be unique, can nourish off the energy of the Sfirot, the energy of the divine forces, you see. Because that's the, that's the way it works. If a Jew sins, <coughs> instead of, if a Jew did a mitzvah, commandment, then he would draw down energy of the Sfirot, tremendous holiness, you see, and he would get it. But if he sins, then that energy comes down. But instead of coming to him, it goes to the Satan. It's like a seesaw. The problem, obviously, is when one side's up, one side is down, or vice versa, you see. So if evil dominates, which means that all of a sudden, there's incredible opportunities to do bad, to be bad, or to be non-spiritual. Bad doesn't only mean, you know, robbery and killing, although that's happening all over the place, you see, a destruction of civilization, you see. But what uh, bad can also mean is living a life devoid of spirituality, and all you do is just engage in whatever pursuits pleasure, power, you know, or whatever uh, deviations you want to do uh, without any kind of uh, reckoning. And that's a very powerful assist to the Satan. And that's what he wants. And then he could take from the energy of the, of the divine Svirot uh, and so on, and it could be unique. And he can take from that energy you see, 
And as a result of that, people are more people are attracted to it, right? And therefore, there's greater sin, which means the Satan could take more energy, right? Which means that he will now allow evil to proliferate or the opportunities to sin to increase, which means people will be attracted and commit more sins, which will allow him to eat more holiness and so on, you see? So it becomes a vicious cycle that allows evil or people acting in a non-spiritual way, you see, to increase. So that's why it wants evil, the Satan, wants to proliferate, increase, because it's able to attract much more sinning and therefore able to get more powerful, you see. And we see that, the truth is, we see this throughout history, you know, that that this is really in many ways what occurs, you see. Uh, And... uh, this for this I, these ideas is in order for the satan to grow tremendously strong. It's a very important formula to understand. Uh, now, especially what evil wants to do, the satan, is to try to promote leaders. You know, people who are really evil. Now, evil doesn't mean only to destroy and damage. It also means to make people much more in tune with the physical or the non-spiritual. So if a leader, right, in the, is in a position of influencing people, uh, then the Satan somehow allows him, you see, through prosecutions, through demanding justice, that they should be victorious, they should be tremendously successful. So now when you have somebody who's in a position of tremendous power and influence, that's great for the Satan, because he will now influence, right, through this leader, much greater sinning. That's what evil wants to do. And we witnessed that. That's what's happening in America. Uh, The people, you know, uh, what they have done is they have wrecked morality. I mean, uh, and so on, you know, the whole concept of LGBTQ+, plus that whole concept or removing the concept of gender, you see, that has destroyed morality, and it's really a destruction of civilization, you see. So all of a sudden, people are attracted to it, and they are growing. I mean, this movement has become incredibly powerful, where not only is it tolerated and allowed, but it has become preferred. Can you imagine, you know, that somebody, uh, some, a, a guy who is, I hate to use the word married to another guy or whatever, now has become preferred and looked up to and is now promoted in all types of movies, magazines, and in, in acts of Congress. I mean, it's really beyond belief when you think about that. But that's what the Satan wants because now many people, right, would never have gone that route, now can go that route because, on the contrary, it is preferred, it is now accepted, you see. So the taboo of that type of behavior is gone. And as a result of that, more people will engage in this incredibly uh, um, deviant behavior. In fact, if you talk against it, they will call you a racist. You know, they will accuse you of all kinds of uh, names and so on, you know. So you don't even open up your mouth. That's what's happening to the world today, you see. Then the other part of what the Satan wants to do is allow people who are incredibly evil that they have been given permission to destroy civilization, you see, again. Because when people look at civilization being destroyed, they become desperate. They become desperate to hang on to anything that will soothe their anxieties and so on. So therefore, they allow people who want to destroy more power, they become more dependent on these people. You find that all over the globe. 
especially with the rise of China and Russia. You see, <clears throat> and we are just waiting for them to do things which will really endanger the entire world. So that's really what we're looking at. <clears throat> the enormous domin dominion, domination of evil to try to influence everybody to sin for one reason or the other. So the Sutton become more powerful with that power to create more opportunities to sin. So he could be yonek, as they say. He could nourish off the divine forces. In Kabbalah, it's called the sparks of holiness. And we see that today, of what's going on. In fact, that's one of the biggest proofs that the Mashiach is right around the corner. Because the world has entered a period of darkness that it really has never seen before. You know, and with America doing all this immorality, it has become a beacon for the entire world. Where, like I say, not only is it acceptable, but it's even preferred. And it's almost given a status of honor among the nations of the world. The more corrupt, the more immoral, and so on that people are, it, uh, the, the, these people are held in greater and greater esteem. <clears throat> so when you think about it, that's the greatest proof that the Mashiach is right around the corner. Uh, because the God will not tolerate the destruction of his own civilization. And therefore, like I once said a long time ago, he's going to press the restart button, which is what he did by the marble. And that restart button is Mashiach. You see, <clears throat> and basically that's what's happening. Therefore, right before the end, this is what happens. The tremendous pervasiveness of evil, but not only in the form of real destruction, but in the form of incredible corruption and immorality of human behavior. You see, because this is the, in many ways the last claim uh, of the Satan to try to energize himself more because the problem is as the world gets closer and closer to its tikkun, he becomes more and more desperate for renewed sources of power. And the major power that he gets is from the sins of the Jewish people. That's really what's happening today. Uh, so it'll continue until justice will be satisfied. Then it will be annihilated, you see. And uh, even if it takes an open miracle, which it will happen, because uh, it is said, you know, we, you know, Egypt, we cannot even imagine the miracles of Egypt. You know, could you imagine looking at a Nile River and all of it is pure blood, or frogs, or lice, wild animals, or hail connected with fire? We cannot imagine these things. I mean, these are not just supernatural, but they are, they are supernatural in the extreme. Yet that's what happened. Could you imagine looking at that? And then, of course, the ultimate with the entire Yamsuf split. Imagine that, which is incredible. Uh, watching a large uh, bed of water, you know, splitting. So this will pale in comparison to the Nisim of the Goula Asida. Uh, this will be, you know, minuscule in comparison to the uh, redemption in uh, the ultimate end of time, when the miracles will far surpass the miracles of Egypt, you see. But in any case, so far this is what's happening. Uh, so all of this has been predicted, you see. And uh, obviously it hasn't ended, and it will continue until uh, it has more claim on justice. any case... Okay, any questions on this part? Yeah, so um, last week we were going according to the parasha, and we yes. were saying how um, <coughs> um, Yosef gets released from prison, 
and he goes from being in jail to going straight into being a viceroy, and God willing, that's a sign that maybe this weekend Yosef, Mashiach when Yosef would get out of its klipah. Yes. But now, the parashat is coming up. Doesn't it have that famous line, and don't we have that a correlation? We say that like with Hashem, that he can't hold it in anymore, and he just wants to bring the, redemp- the redemption? Yes. In many ways, that is Merame's. I mean, Yosef clearly is the Mashiach Ben Yosef. That's who he really is. So what will happen in the end of time is Yosef that represents Mashiach Ben Yosef. You see, that the time will come where the world doesn't really deserve the redemption. You see, it's almost there but it doesn't really deserve the redemption. So what will happen is that the Ramonishlam, what he will do, and that's what it means, that, you know, for one second, I will, I will, um, I will exercise mercy. It says that, Berega Kutna Zavtich, That for one second I will abandon you, but <clears throat> but for tremendous mercy I will uh, I will gather you. It says that. See, what does that mean? <clears throat> what, it pro- what it means is that there will come a time when we are very close, but not close enough. So what's going to happen is that God Himself will decide that I'm not waiting for justice. I'm now going to bend justice and bring the redemption. That's a very interesting concept. What's important to remember with this type of idea, you see, is that ultimately speaking, there is no... God is not bound by any form of justice. That is a very important concept you see if he wants he can end everything in an instant of time whether the world has re- you know has realized the concept of justice in other words whether the Jews are deserving or not doesn't really make a difference he just suspends it and abandons it and he does what he wants to do because remember, <clears throat> ultimately speaking, God is the boss. And he does what he wants to do. And he could suspend justice. <clears throat> so in the end of time, uh, the posit that you bring it down is really a revelation. It's a secret. <clears throat> you see, that we think, well, justice has to be totally satisfied. But that would mean that it may take, therefore, another couple of years, you see, or whatever time it takes. So what that POSIC means is that the Mashiach bin Yosef, who of course is the agent of God, that he will respond to God's midah, his behavior, <clears throat> of what? Where it says that for one second I will abandon you. But the kibbutz, which is in Itzavim, and the Pashat Itzavim, that God will gather all the Jews, <clears throat> which means that he will separate the Jews from the Goyim first. Then he will take them to himself, which is he will bring them to spirituality. See, first you have to be separate from Tumor. And then you have to be brought to God, which is Kedusha. And then it says, and it's, um, <clears throat> God will bring them to Israel. You see. So the Gula will begin <clears throat> uh, in the countries itself where the Jews are. <clears throat> but that kibbutz is interesting. Because at that point in time, the Jews don't really deserve redemption. 
But because God is above justice, you see, then he will, in a certain sense, ignore the status quo, which means that the Jews do not deserve the redemption. He will ignore that, put it aside, and just do what he wants, you see. And since God is not dependent on justice, I mean, he voluntarily submits to justice because he wants everybody to deserve what they get, <clears throat> you see. But at that point in time, the midah of of almost infinite mercy will take over and suspend the claim of justice. The wait a minute, what are you doing? Can't do this. He will suspend it, which is really incredible when you think about that, and just bring the redemption, you see, which of course he can do. He's not dependent on anything, and he will do that. So this is reflected in Yosef. You know, it's interesting, because, and what will happen then, is says that Yosef, you know, in the next passage of Vayigas, where he says, you know, all of a sudden, he couldn't hold himself in, right? And then he revealed himself to his brothers, and they were stunned. And the way he reveals himself, he says, Ani Yosef. That's all he said. I am Yosef. Uh, and they were stunned. That is the forerunner of Mashiach ben Yosef. That all of a sudden, whoever he is, is going to come out and announce himself, by the way, I am the Mashiach ben Yosef. And everybody is going to be stunned. You see, that's how it's going to happen. Where. Uh, in many ways, uh, nobody's going to expect this person to Mashiach ben Yosef. That that's what it says in Yeshayahu, in um, uh, I think at the end of Memtes, the last eight psukim, where it says that everybody's going to look at him and be stunned, be in shock at this individual. You see, your Mashiach ben Yosef, impossible. We would never have believed that you are the person, you see. And that's exactly alluded to by Yosef, you know, where they didn't recognize him. And all of a sudden he just says, I'm Yosef. I'm Yosef. And they were stunned. Uh, not only because, in the brother's case, because they didn't expect to find him, but here, could you imagine that they live, they're talking with Yosef, for how many times, how many days, when he's accusing them of being spies, right? They're looking at him. They're talking to him. And they do not recognize who he is. Uh, could you imagine the deception that it's practice, that the Bershom allowed him to be concealed from them? You see, that's exactly what happened by Mashiach Ben Yosef. <clears throat> that people will know who he is not who he is as Mashiach ben Yosef, but they will have met him. They will have talked to him. He sounds like a nice guy, right? <clears throat> you know, he's probably intelligent, he's probably bright. You know what I'm saying? But he is Mashiach ben Yosef. It's impossible. Yet he will be Mashiach ben Yosef. Why did God do that? You see, why did he allow such an incredible deception of Mashiach ben Yosef? And the answer is because a Mashiach needs concealment. Because if the Satan finds out who the Redeemer is, guess what? He's going to makatrate, he's going to prosecute, right? He's going to examine every single thing about this man's behavior. <clears throat> and he's going to try to stop it. You see, so the worship has to conceal this person. He does this all the time. You know, by David Amelach, he concealed that David was the king, right? And ultimately, Mashiach ben David will descend from him because the Satan would try to stop him from becoming king, you see. So he's done that many times. Uh, okay, in many ways, what he does is he has the Mashiach born in sin, like Lot and his daughters, you see. 
and Rus, who comes out of nowhere, right? Moyav and so on, comes out of nowhere. She's the mother of the mother of the of, of, of David Amelach. You see, <clears throat> it's the same idea with uh, with Yosef. You know that on the contrary, the brothers saw Yosef that he was a threat to their stability. So that's why they had him <clears throat> sold. Could you imagine selling a person, right, who has that type of spiritual height down to Egypt in the middle of the Tumor, the Klippa? You see, of course, they had no idea who this man was, that he is such a great man that he's able to have, which I will talk about in the future, that he was able to have Tushvatim, a Shevet, a tribe cannot have a tribe because he doesn't have the loftiness of the neshama to give birth to another tribe, you see. Yet Yosef had Menashe and Ephraim. How? And they're two tribes of Israel. They're part of the tribes of Israel. How is that possible? As I will talk about later, because the neshama of Yosef was far above the neshama of his other brothers. So he had such a lofty neshama that he could actually give birth to tribes, even though he's really a tribe. You see, <clears throat> but I, I will talk about that at another time. But therefore, this pasuk that Yosef could not hold himself back alludes to many different ideas. You see, like I said now, that it alludes to the fact that at the end of time, justice will be suspended for a duration of time where God will assert his awesome authority and dispense from justice and says, I must bring the goal now. That's how close this world is to destruction. Not only from uh, th threats and so on, you know, and World War Three or whatever, you see, but also the destruction because of the unbelievable amount of tumor and corruption that is rampant through the entire world, you see. So that's what God will do, and that is, like I say, alluded to with Yosef himself, you see. And the second thing, right, is that when he does reveal himself, they're stunned. And all he says is, I'm Yosef. So therefore, the Mashiach ben Yosef is concealed. That's why you could sit and talk with him. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Imagine you, uh, you, you, you meet him at a wedding, right? The Mashiach ben Yosef, right? And you sit down, he's not talking to this guy. He sounds interesting. You know, obviously he has to be some type of a unique person. Uh, but that he should be the Messiah? Impossible, right? But that's exactly who he is, you see. Except for the purposes of being able to survive or withstand enormous amount of potential prosecutions, right? You don't know who he is. It's completely concealed, you see. And I, I went into that at, really at length, you know, the whole concept of the sufferings of the Mashiach and, and so on, you know, and why he suffers and how he suffers and so on. But that Pasek alludes to these ideas. It's enormous concealment. You see, when he says, I need Yosef, and the fact that in the end of time, God will dispense with justice and say, I'm doing it. Now, that doesn't mean God will dispense with justice completely. No, of course not. But in many ways, it's similar to what happened in Egypt. When the Jews were about to enter the water, you see, so the, the Malach of Egypt said, why do you want to destroy my people? Right? Egyptians. Right? They worship idols. That's true. The Egyptians. But the Jews also worship the idols. So why are you destroying my people, this Malach says, and you're allowing the Jewish people to survive? And the reason for that, <clears throat> no, it's what the Malach was saying. You are denying justice. Right? Because they're equal in their sinfulness. So God said, yes, it's true. But they will survive. Why? Because God counts a future merit as if it exists now. 
And since when they get to Har Sinai, right, and the Jews will accept the Torah completely in Nasev and Ishma, right, such an extent where they said, right, that we will do and then we will understand. So that type of acceptance was unbelievable. Uh, so that's why God said in the merit of what will be in the future, right, then I can now use that future merit even though it hasn't happened. But God's knowledge, as far as his knowledge is concerned, right, is fact even in the present. And therefore God uses the future, many times he does that, that if something will happen in the future, that future event which has tremendous merit can actually be used in a judgment of today or at the present time. And therefore, that's what he did. So the fact that the Jews, right, will accept the Mashiach and they will then become incredibly righteous. Remember, we're talking about Mashiach ben Yosef, where there's still free will. We're not talking here about Mashiach ben David. Uh, so in that merit itself, God will use what will happen in the future. He will use that to, re- to remove the claim of justice. Uh, where they don't have to deserve the whole redemption, you see. Even if it's close, but not close enough, God says, I will suspend the, uh, the necessity of justice and allow the Mashiach to come. You know, and the that you brought down, which is very good, alludes to that. It's a very important Pesach, and in a certain sense, it is very comforting that God is not going to wait, as they say, to the bitter end. You know, when you think about that, <clears throat> that's exactly what happened in Egypt. You know, I mean, if God would have said, well, I'm sorry, justice hasn't been done. They didn't do the tikkun, right? On the contrary, they're holding at the 49th level of tumor, of defilement. But he, God did not say that. God said, I want to rescue them, right? I want to stop them from going into the 50th gate, of contamination and sin and so on. You see? So what he did is he suspended justice. Because justice doesn't demand, right, that he save them. You know, they determine they want to sin. Fine. But God said no. Uh, So we see clearly that God will not always allow justice to determine what he does. He can intervene. He can interfere. But he will do only because he considers a future merit to be present now, you see. And based on that, he will allow the, uh, the Jews some type of redemption. <clears throat> so that's what's going to happen in the end. So we don't have to wait until the bitter end, as they say, where, you know, justice will be completely satisfied. No. <clears throat> And that is alluded to in incredible mercy. doesn't say in mercy, but with great mercy, you see. And great mercy is a suspension of justice, even if they don't deserve the suspension, you see. So that's what that Pesach really foretells, you see, in terms of what will happen. But look, when the time comes, it will happen, you know, like I say, you know. And uh, as a result of that, the Jews will be, re- will be redeemed, <clears throat> you see. And what's interesting, and not only will they be redeemed, but what's unheard of is that God will go into the Kripa, into the nations of the world, <clears throat> and redeem the Jews, you see. He's not going to redeem them, you know, send them to Israel, and then provide the Mashiach ben Yosef. No. He's going to have Mashiach ben Yosef, right, deal with the Umar Sa'ilam. And that is really what his job is, is to deal with the nations of the world itself. And as a result of that, you see, when he deals with those nations, he will vanquish them. That's why it says by Yosef, the blessing that Moshe Rabbeinu gave to Yosef, Right? When he talks about the horns of the Re'em, 
it refers to Yosef as the horns of the Re'em, Ubehem Amim Yenagach. And with these horns, he will gore the nations. Well, that's, that's, that's weapons. That's war. You see, so that becomes the major purpose of Yosef, is to battle evil until he destroys it. And that will be done by the Mashiach ben David. You see, so in, in a certain sense, uh, we can look forward to that. That we don't have to wait until the entire tikkun is complete. Because who knows how many years that would take or whatever. But on the contrary, you know, that God himself wants to end it. You know, <clears throat> I mean, uh, could you imagine if we ourselves are sick and tired of the incredible amount of evil, illogic, irrationality, defilement, contamination, corruption of this world. Could you imagine God looking at this world? He's probably saying to himself, what have I created? Really? Okay, you know, there are reasons for this. You know, it's, uh, it's very good that every person has to deserve his, his reward in Oilam Abba. But when you take a look at what's happening, as you know, it's very important to remember that evil does not necessarily mean harm, killing, robbery, although that's going on all over the place. Evil simply means when a person is preoccupied in promoting self. When he's not interested in any kind of understanding that there's another world, that man has a higher purpose, and that purpose is to realize a spiritual reality and to worship God and to do his will. <clears throat> so even if a person, you know, doesn't, is, is what's called a fine, upright citizen, fine. So that, that, all that means is that, you know, you're a good citizen and you observe the laws of the land, right? And so on. Uh, but the concept of what Judaism teaches, it's not enough to deserve the laws of the land, you see. You need to absorb, uh, observe the laws of God. Uh, and that's the concept of spirituality, you see. And that's the mistake that everybody makes. You know, America prides itself on a land of what? You know, of fairness, uh, individuality, decency, you know, uh, and so on, you see. Uh, but that, that's not the purpose of mankind, to be a good person. The purpose of mankind, it's certainly the Jewish people, is to be a person who is holy, righteous. That's the purpose you see, and, and spiritual. And of course, within that context, of course you're a good person. But so therefore, evil does not mean, you know, um, robbery and murder and all kinds of, you know, uh, harmful behavior. But to engage in, in behavior which is not spiritual, not to recognize that there's a God, that he has a higher purpose for man, and to engage in promoting self, pleasure, power, you see, uh, what do you call materialism, and so on. In that context, that is also evil, even though most people would not consider it so, you see. <clears throat> so that's what I'm telling you is a very important distinction, that the standards of Judaism is much different than the standards of civilization or the standards of democracy or whatever because their standards that you have to be a good citizen that allow society to exist allows people to live together and fulfill their common needs that's what's required in a civilization you see but the requirement for Ilam Hapo the future world is not that only the main requirement is to recognize that we are really spiritual. We have souls, neshamas, and therefore what we really are, we are denizens of another universe, of a different dimension of reality. 
a reality in which we have Kedusha, like it says in the Torah, Kedushim Tiyu. You will be holy, doesn't say, and you will be upright citizens. You see? That is the criteria for Judaism. But the world does not recognize that. They don't see this as the ultimate goal that a person has to strive for. So from that context or from that understanding, that is also an evil because it denies the true calling of what a person should be. Ruchnius, spiritual, righteous, holy, you see, not just a, a decent citizen. So I, have to, I had to expand the concept of what is wrong with the world, you see. <clears throat> and that's a very important idea, you see. In any case, <clears throat> so this is basically what's going to happen at the end of time. It will happen. And it will happen because God, in a certain sense, has exhausted his patience in this sense, you know, where he doesn't want to see this proliferation, domination of this type of behavior. So he says, I'm going to suspend justice because I am above justice. I can do whatever I want. And he can just, just suspend the whole thing. And we see that because it says in the Torah, Racham v'chanon. And the uh, Chazal tell us, V'chanoisi es ochon. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. You see? V'richamti. And I will be merciful. Asher To whom I will be merciful. What does that mean? It sounds like double talk. Well, obviously you're going to be gracious to whom you will be gracious. And you will be merciful to whom you will be merciful. Uh, no. It means I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious because I will decide to whom I will be gracious, whether he deserves it or not. I decide, not his acts. You see, it's not dependent on din, on justice, because this is my will, and my will is supreme over the entire creation. And the same thing with mercy. I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful, because I will decide to whom I am merciful, it's my decision. It's not a decision based on his acts or her acts, you see. It's a very important concept that in the end God says suspend the entire business and just do what he wants. And there is nothing to oppose him. Nothing. Like the Rosham says, you know, in, in, in the Hazino, you know, I kill, I cure, I heal, you see. Uh, and from my hand there's no rescue there's nobody there that can oppose me and say wait a minute what are you doing I'm stopping you doesn't exist as it says there is no opposition to God at all not even a thread a shred of opposition including justice including the statements or the accusations or the claims of the Satan. It doesn't make a difference. God just moves them aside and does exactly what he does. And this is a central idea of the Geula, of the redemption. Where God will decide, enough is enough. I'm ending it now. You know, even if they haven't completely fulfilled their mission. I'm ending it. Ultimately, they will fulfill, but I'm ending it now. We have to hope that that moment is here. You know, and like I said, you know, that Pusik, where he couldn't hold himself back, Yosef could not hold himself back, and he had to tell his brothers, I'm the guy. I'm Mashiach ben Yosef. <clears throat> you see, that is a tremendous secret which will happen in the end of time. That's what the Mashiach ben Yosef is going to say. He's going to come out, and all of a sudden, however we, he does this, we don't know, right? But he's going to say, I am the Messiah, Mashiach ben Yosef. And of course, they're all going to look at them and say, what? I just had a discussion with you at some wedding which we met. You, I could never believe you were the guy. And there are reasons for that. 
because the the the, the problems that he has, his handicaps, are, are so uh, you know obvious that nobody could imagine that this guy could be a Mashiach, a Messiah. You see, but in any case, that's what he will say. And once he does that, he will be revealed, just like Yosef. But it's interesting when Yosef said Ani Yosef, he wasn't just telling them. You know, by the way, I'm Yosef, some guy in the street. No, he's Yosef, the Grand Vizier of Egypt, the second most powerful man of Egypt, which at that point in time was the greatest nation in the world. Same thing. When the Mashiach and Yosef does say that, he will be the greatest person at that point in time of the Jewish people. In fact, he will be the greatest person on the planet. Because at that point in time, he will be freed. You see? So that's basically what's going to happen. And I believe it's going to happen soon. Because the world has stepped over the red line. Where now all the immorality and corruption, you see, and degradation and depravity that they are into, it's already irreversible because they have made it a central feature of the law, a central feature of civilization, <clears throat> you see, and a central feature of what they stand for, you see, and therefore, basically, it's irreversible. So, therefore, I believe that is a red line that they have crossed and God is going to end it shortly. Any questions? No questions? Anyone have questions? How will we know that Hashem is ending it? And what, like, what will make us see that things are starting to be, come to an end? Well, the mere appearance of Mashiach ben Yosef is the end. No, that What's I know, that? but before he appears. Uh, before he appears, uh, the evil will grow to such an extent where it's just incredible. You see, just absolutely incredible. And the evil, like I say, is two parts. There are two types of evil. There's a domination uh, in terms of the world of evil that wants to destroy the world. That's what China basically wants to do. They develop all these hypersonic missiles. For who? That I'm interested in the war with Bolivia. It's obviously to dominate the world. And the second aspect of evil is the incredible tumor of civilization where mankind has now decided that they want to uh, remove God totally <clears throat> from the acts of man. And that's really what the progressives want to do. They want to dominate America completely. They want to throw God out, because that's really what they want. They want to get rid of religion, all religion, you see. And they want to take over and dominate. It's exactly what the Communist Party is, because that's really who they are. When the world will have reached that stage that God will step in and say, enough is enough, and I'm going to stop it now. Even though, right, evil perhaps still has a claim, you know, because people are still sinning. Uh, you know, so we're very close to that when you think about it, you know. So, um, if tonight, they, I just, I'm curious about tonight with, Zot I mean, sorry, Zot Hanukkah. Hanukkah, yes. Yeah, so what's the what's the, like, the importance? I know that it's the eighth day and it has the most light, but I, I was reading how um, certain rabbis even compare it to um, Yom Kippur and Ne'ilah when, you know, when it's the, the gates are open for all that to be law, and they're, they're comparing it to that these next 24 hours. How, how does that, why is it, why is it so? 
Well, I, I had mentioned previously in a previous year that the eight days of Hanukkah parallel the eight days of Sukkot. You see. And I mentioned when I gave the shir on Sukkot, 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 and so on, that Sukkot is really the holiday where all of a sudden the agreement between God and the Jews has been rededicated, you know, reformed, uh, you know, and completely uh, restated. And I mentioned that. But the eighth day of Sukkot is not about the Jews, you know, rededicating themselves to the Avodah. It is God's signature. So the first seven days of Sukkot is the Jews' attempt, you know, to rededicate themselves, you know, uh, with, with the uh, service, the work that they have to do, tikkun. But the eighth day is not, that's why there are no mitzvot on the eighth day. And the eighth day is God's signature, so to speak. You see, that I will give you ilam habo. So seven days represents the input of the Jews. The eighth day represents God. His, his contribution to the whole holiday. Same thing with, with uh, Hanukkah. Seven days, you see, if you think about that, for seven days, that represents our input into the emunah, that we believe that God runs everything, which is exactly what the Greece they refuse to acknowledge that, you see. <clears throat> and the eighth day is really God, you know, in a certain sense, appearing to show us that he does, uh, you know, run everything. So in that sense, this, this uh, Hanukkah is the greatest day because it's God's revelation of who he really is in response to our input, our sacrifice of the first seven. You see, you see, uh, you know what's interesting is that uh, the old question on the, uh, the menorah, well, why do we celebrate eight days, right? We really should only celebrate seven because the, the menorah that burnt miraculously for seven days, but it already had one day's oil, Right? So when you think about it, the miracle wasn't for eight days, right? The miracle was only for seven days. That was a miracle, because it shouldn't have burnt for seven days. But for one day, it certainly could have burnt, because it had, the, it had one day's oil, you see. So what that would represent, you see, is that the miracle is for our existence doing the Avodah. That's really exactly what happened. The fact that Jews exist is a miracle. In fact, the Rosham shows us, if you think about it, because Yitzchak was a miracle. The birth of Yitzchak could never happen, right? Avraham Avinu is what? 100 years old. Sarah is 90. People don't give birth at 90 years old. And Avraham Avinu is 100. The whole birth of Yitzchak is... Unless Nigla, it's impossible to have occurred, you see. And not only that, Sarah could not have had another child, you know. There are certain things biologically you have to do, or if not, then you cannot give birth. Yet Yitzchak was born miraculously. And what that tells us, of course, is that the existence of the Jew is an S. So therefore, seven days burns right? It's miraculous. Because really, we should not have, you know, uh, in normal circumstances, those seven days. But the Jews miraculously exist, and they did the Avodah, lit the candle for seven days. But the eighth day is not a miracle, because for one day, it certainly could have burnt, you see. <clears throat> so in a certain sense, that one day represents God. You see, because God doesn't need miracles to do what he does. He is the miracle, or I rather should say, <clears throat> you know, his actions are him. There's nothing miraculous. There's nothing that can stop him from doing what he wants. Miracle or no miracle, it's irrelevant, you see. 
So one day is really God. You see? Where seven days are miraculous. So in that sense, we exist uh, to do the input for seven days. You see? So if that's the case, right? Zoyis Hanukkah really, in the end, is the, uh, is the, the final uh, upshot of the entire thing. You see? In fact, in the eighth day, it says, in the day of its being anointed. That's a reference to Mashiach, you see. So therefore, the last day, in many ways, is the greatest day because it's God's interaction, you know, with what the Jews did in that sense for seven days. So therefore, Hanukkah and Sukkot are very, very uh, parallel. And of course, as a result of that, uh, God demonstrates his uh, absolute authority and supremacy, you know, uh, with that concept of the eighth day and so on, you know. And besides, because of that, you know, they say also, of course, that, uh, that uh, Hanukkah, this Hanukkah, is the end of the judgment that started from Rosh Hashanah. So Rosh Hashanah was the writing of the judgment. Yom Kippur was the signature of the judgment. Hoshana Rabbah was the seal of the judgment. That happens on Hoshana Rabbah. But you still have to have the delivery. So Hanukkah ends the delivery. And those are the four different uh, times. The whole concept of justice and so on, you know. So uh, Hanukkah, therefore, represents the end in terms of the judgment. And now the uh, whatever the judgment is will be... Uh, actualized throughout the entire year. Uh, so Hanukkah, in many ways, is an incredible time to pray for whatever you want to happen. You see. So technically, if, let's say, in the book of, uh, in the books this year, um, Hashem said, you know what, I'm going to bring the Mashiach, technically speaking, He mm-hmm. couldn't bring it yet because the final deliverance is not till tomorrow. Yes, that's right. Although, obviously, the Boshim can do whatever he wants. Right. You know, some things can be delivered. They'll need a delivery, you know. You know, in that sense, you know. So today is a very auspicious day. By the way, it's also the, according to some people, the Yotzai of Avram Avinu. He died today. Some people hold it was earlier. You know, but there are people that hold that today was his uh, anniversary, death, your time, so, you know. So I want uh, to actually um, ask you something about that. So if, if Abraham Avinu's yard site is on um, Rosh Chodesh Teveh, is there a reason, like, because the energy now is supposed to be shifted onto Esav because it's their month, is that is that why like is there a specific reason that like Abraham passes away on that same day of that shift of energy so that his merit could you know could help us? Yeah, there's no question that that is true. I mean, if you think about that, <clears throat> what is the greatest representation of evil? And the answer to that is Asov. It's basically right, and that's Teves. Asov is the greatest the longest, the most intense form of uh, the exact opposite of what God wants. And the one who started the entire opposition to all of this, Tavram Avinu, you see. So his death, the death of a tzaddik on that day is your sign. On that day, it's supposed to be a very propitious day. It indicates, uh, because it sums up his life. So the fact that Avraham Avinu, Zeus uh, Hanukkah, would be his Yotzite, which is exactly opposite of Teves, that's what it would indicate. His whole life was a opposition, right, to the whole Shita, the whole policy of Esav, which is Teves. So it certainly would make a lot of sense, you see. 
Okay. Anything else? Overall, Rabbi, this holiday with the light that we got from the Or HaGanuz from Hanukkah, what was your feeling place now that we're almost commencing overall? Well, you know, in light of everything that's happening, I really have a very good feeling. I think yesterday was very significant, Shabbos. Like I mentioned, there are seven things that happened on Shabbos, which is really incredible. Like I said, you know, for Shabbos, the holiness of Shabbos, and then it was Pashat Miketz. You know, when Mishik Ben Yosef, Yosef is released from his prison, and he's appointed to be the Grand Vizier. Then it was Shabbos Hanukkah, it's Rosh it's and I mentioned that if it's out the Sukkot, it's the Ushpizen of Yosef, you see. And like I mentioned, the total eclipse of the sun happened yesterday. So whoever heard a day that has so many symbolic references to holiness? It's like, you know, it's, uh, I've never seen so many all converge on one day. So uh, I think it was really very good. You know, and I'm hoping, uh, you know, it's uh, what happens is significant. However, it will be revealed later on. Okay. Anyway, enjoy. Thank you, However, Rabbi. you enjoy Hanukkah. You know. Happy Zodkhanukkah, Rabbi. Thank you. Thank it's you, great. Rabbi. Yes. Thank you, Rabbi. Take care. Thank you. Great Next time. week is Monday night, right? Yes. I'll go back to Monday. Rachel has a question, but you have to talk louder, Rachel. She he can't hear you. Who's on phone? Wait, wait, wait. Start again. Go. When the Mashiach comes, she wants to know. Yes. If, um, what does the Mashiach have to come on the first night of Passover? Is there some way that it says that it has to be that night? You have to remember there are different stages in the redemption, right? That means when the when the when the Chazal, the rabbis tell us that we were redeemed in Nisan, and in the future we will be redeemed. So the question of the ask so which stage? Is it the beginning, right, or is it the appearance? You know, uh, is it the victory of Ben Yosef over all the nations of the world? Or is it the entry of Mashiach Ben David? You see? Or is it the victory of Mashiach Ben David over the entire world? Because he's going to be fighting Goyk Mogoyk. So you have to ask, uh, you know, at which stage does Nisan apply to? You see? So it could start much earlier but that, Nisan will be obviously one of the major stages of the Gaul, of the redemption itself. You see? By the way, Brother, did you hear that Israel is sending representatives to the White House to convince them to attack Iran because of their nuclear power? Can somebody repeat that? Did, did you hear that um, Israel is sending um, representatives to the White House uh, yeah. to convince them to uh, attack Iran for, uh, because they have nuclear power? No, but I, I don't believe that uh, Biden will do anything. <laughs> you know, and like I say, based on the Midrash, the Yalkut um, it sounds like they will actively do something or attempt to do something. It sounds like that, I mean, the Russian change can stop it, but it does sound like they will achieve a nuclear capability. Uh, the question is, you know, they, they, even if they do, can they launch something? That depends on the missile, you see. But they will achieve something. And uh, I feel that there will be a major war uh, between Israel and whoever contends with Iran. 
that they will come to a showdown. Rabbi, you saw that they fired uh, Governor Cuomo from CNN? They officially they fired, fired um, Cuomo from CNN. Yeah. Well, they're a team. They're incredibly arrogant people. <laughs> you know. And um, that's tragic. It got caught up with their incredible arrogance. You know, they think they're superior. I mean, that was a major blow to the whole Cuomo family. Tremendous blow. <clears throat> he had a great job. Now he's gone. You know. That's I mean, also he, a sign of evil losing its grip. Yes, exactly. That's another sign that there's retribution to evil, which mm-hmm. really, when you think about it, should not be happening. So we see clearly that even though evil has been given domination, it's slipping. Even Biden is down to, I think, 36%, different polls. But he's slipping. And Harris is not even at 28%. You see, they're losing big time. And God is blinding them where they don't even understand that it's their policies that are destroying them. You see, so that's a very good sign that if they, you know, it's like um, Zeresh, you know, the wife of Haman, right? And uh, he, you know, he came and said, well, you know, all of a sudden uh, Mordechai uh, um, has been appointed, whatever. So what Zeresh said, uh, you know, it's when, when Ahasuerus told uh, Haman, go out and give, take the horse and the crown and the cloth and, every, and the, the suit and all that, and put it on Mordechai and parade him through the streets. So Zeresh told him something very important. Once you have begun to fall, not for people of you will surely fall. So that's an indication that also when you see evil is slipping, you see, and it's not succeeding, then that's the beginning of the end for evil. You see, because if evil was in its showtime, as they say, it would not fall. So the fact that Biden and company, Democratic Party, and so on, the fact that they are falling, tells you that it is beginning to end. God is slowly taking them out. So I believe Cuomo and his brother, 